What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good day and welcome to the NESG Radio. My name is Rafi Atlawa. I work with the Nigerian Economy Summit Group. The topic for today's podcast is Profitable protections are the business advantage of food fortification compliance. And I'll be discussing this important topic with Dr. Adeyemi Oluwole Opeolua and Ms. Stella Ayodele Elizabeth. So starting off with introduction, Dr. Adeyemi Opeolua is the Deputy Director, Scientific and Head of Business Development at the Institute of Public Analysts of Nigeria. Dr. Okpeolua holds a PhD in Sustainable Development and Diplomacy, an MBA in Economics. He also holds an MSc and BSc in Industrial Chemistry. He also has about two decades of consulting expertise in all projects and program development phases. It's nice to have you here, Dr. Adeyemi. So Ms. Stella Ayodele yeah. Elizabeth is the Country Program Manager, Food Fortification at Technosev. Just to um, highlight that Technosev is countrywide implementation of large-scale food fortification initiatives. Ms. Stella is a biochemist with public leadership training from Cornell University. Thank you very much for being here, ma, Ms. Stella. So let's just get right into the business of today. So, Ms. Stella, I would like to start with you. So, there has been so much clamor about food fortification. Can you please elaborate on food fortification and, and its importance, especially to businesses? Thank you, Rafiat. And yes, I uh, am happy to be on this podcast this morning because food fortification is a well-established um, strategy it's been recognized globally and it's been in existence for over four decades uh, with empirical evidence on its effectiveness on um, managing and helping to alleviate micronutrient deficiencies. Uh, let me start by building a little context because some of the listeners may not be very versed with what food fortification is. Food fortification is the addition of vitamins, very essential vitamins and minerals into food that is being processed as a result of the loss of these vitamins and minerals during the processing and handling of this food. So in order to make up for lost essential micronutrients that are essential for growth and development of people and by extension the economy, these essential vitamins are then added in, back into the food. Mm. Now, before food fortification is um, established in any community, for instance, in Nigeria, uh, where food fortification actually started in the 90s with the addition of iodine and salt. And then uh, by 2002, we had signed up for the addition of 
several micronutrients in wheat flour, edible oil, sugar, and salt. Now, um, a, a, the country has decided that yes, there is a certain amount of deficient micronutrients, particularly vitamin A, iron, zinc, folic acid, and vitamin. And secondly, that we are able to process these foods in an industrial scale. Now, because these are the drivers of choosing the food vehicles. One, it has to be at an industrial scale for production, and that's where the businesses come in. And secondly, the food has to be consumed by a huge number, a large number of the population. It has to be accessible, available, affordable. Now, where did the business come in? What's the business case for, for a business person, for a manufacturer, a producer to fortify? There are indirect benefits to fortification that will, at the end of the day, impact a business. Uh, I'll start with maybe one. For instance, I think it is... It's been established by the World Bank and, and then, you know, the statistics that Nigeria loses $1.5 billion annually on the control of micronutrient deficiency. And uh, Technosab did a premix study in the early 2020s. And we, if, for instance, we we're going to comply fully by the industrial standards of for wheat flour fortification, for edible oil fortification, and for sugar fortification, it will cost us about $50 million. Now, what? imagine the relative difference between 1.5 billion and just 50 million at 100% compliance. Now, the government, the nation will be able to get back so much into the economy. So rather than using money to solve health challenges that could have been avoided by just adequate nutrition, we could use that money for infrastructure that will benefit the business. And in the long run, if the, if the people, the masses are adequately nourished, right, the children, women of reproductive age, adolescents will grow to their full potential. Meaning when you, as an employer, when you engage labor, you are engaging labor that is optimal, that will not call in sick, that will not be able to think proactively and creatively because they have developed at their optimal cognitively. So that is how businesses are able to indirectly recruit their investments in food transportation. And I'll stop at that for okay. now. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Stella, for that insightful explanation. So, um, okay. can you hear me, ma? Yes, I can. Okay. So, can you tell us some tangible benefits that food producers should expect in the long and short term if they incorporate fortification in their processes, just like you've established earlier? Okay. So, um, continuing from where I stopped, if companies establish food fortification, for one, they would avoid regulatory uh, non-compliance and punitive uh, measures that are taken by regulatory agencies because fortification of these staples, some of these staples are mandatory, meaning there is an ethical uh, consequence. There is a legal consequence for not abiding by that legislation. So they must do it. If they do it, they will be able to avoid fines that will be levied against them. And of course, those fines can be used to train 
uh, more more ha- more food handlers can be used to do other business. You know, if we invested into inventory and whatever else that would benefit the business. And of course, um, they can also use this as the fact that they are doing the right thing. Number one, they can use it as a marketing edge for themselves to as a badge of quality that they can communicate to the public that we do the right things. For instance, one of the um, one of the initiative or innovatives innovations rather that Technosav brought to bear. Uh, in the last two years, it's called the Micronutrient Fortification Index. And what this does and how it helps businesses that are adequately fortifying and complying with this standard is that it helps them to announce their brands to the public. Therefore, when a consumer is making that purchasing decision, it goes first for quality before price. We've done a a number of... um, consumer surveys, and it highlights that consumers would always choose quality sometimes, even over price, as much as we think that, yes, there's this economic crunch, Mm -hmm. but I want value for that money that I'm spending. And food is one of those, uh, it's one of the expenses that takes the most from, you know, the average family, the average household. Therefore, if a, if a producer has done the right thing and, for instance, is participating on the micronutrient index, they can use this as a continuous badge of quality. Additionally, uh, by participating, for instance, on this MFI index, foreign direct investors are able to view responsible and accountable businesses in Nigeria. And when they want to come into the country, maybe they want to make a purchase or they want to acquire or merge or invest in the business, they go for those top-ranking businesses because they know that for a company to have gone through this sort of index, that means they have their documentation, they have their practice, their governance, they have everything correct. As the youth will say these days, they come correct. So therefore, they will be able to work, they will be able to attract foreign investments. In addition to, you know, just the usual... Uh, increase in their in their sales as a result of that brand of quality. So there's an advantage that is directly commercial, but there's also the one that is in-commercial. There's the social uh, imperative for doing what they're doing, right? So because at the end of the day, businesses have to be socially responsible these days, right? So it's not just about profit anymore. You have to think about the people, you have to think about the planet. So doing the right thing, by uh, complying to fortification standards, is, is, that landscape is changing with the advent of this kind of accountability uh, innovations like the MFI. Thank you. We all know that all businesses are profit-oriented. So can you briefly explain how complying with food fortification policies offer business advantages? Yeah, thank you. Um, Ms. Stella has said quite a lot, and then... Um, um, I wouldn't want to reiterate um, all what she said again. Um, basically, um, when businesses um, comply with fortification uh, legislation or regulations, um, it puts them in a position of um, market confidence. I think uh, Ms. Stella did mention about this. Um,
meaning that uh, you're sure that they will perform application processes, which confirms that, um, that they are self-regulating, not just self-regulating, but they are prepared to be um, also investigated to show that um, their processes and systems are in place. Obviously, when you have systems, processes in place and good governance in, in a frame organization, um, the effect is on the product, whether you're dealing with a um, tangible or intangible product. Uh, in the case we're talking about um, fortified and um, various food products. So one of the things you're going to get is market confidence. Um, another you're going to get is basically international recognition and local recognition, like um, Stella rightly said. Uh, there's also the unintended consequence of um, a greater market share. Um, when, when your products are perform, exa for example, um, if I take wheat fortified with iron, and then um, basically I found out that the anemia in a certain area goes down because of a certain um, product that is being consumed, then um, that certain um, area or population or market would want to prefer that product. So you're going to have increase in market share. And another thing is that regulatory compliance uh, means that uh, you have um, better visibility and then uh, from public institutions who actually regulate you. Yeah, so these are one of the positives of um, complying with uh, fortification regulations or act. Yeah, like the uh, fortification regulations, NAPDAC fortification regulation of um, um, is it 17th of August 2021. Uh, this is complying with those, whether they are mandatory or non mandatory requirements. Yeah. They are all contained in that regulations. Okay. Thank you, sir. So leveraging of, uh, on what you just explained now, can you give some case studies or example of some businesses that have had increase in market share, just like you've explained? Maybe one or two examples. Um, I have a lot. Okay. I have worked okay. quite a lot. Um, Good. Yeah, of course. Uh, you have PZ Wilma, PZ, um, Patterson's Oranges, okay. um, Olam. Olam is a conglomerate working across West Africa, particularly in Ghana. They are fortifying rice now. Um, they are fortifying rice now. I'm not too sure if they have started already in Nigeria, but there is um, a regulation and um, there has been uh, meetings that rice should be fortified um, as a large-scale um, pr um, food product for, for enriching or reducing malnutrition, hidden hunger or undernutrition. Um, also, of course, uh, why would I forget flour meals? Okay. I wouldn't forget flour meals. <laughs> Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Impossible. Then, of course, um, in, in terms of uh, liquids, um, we'll look at um, um, Nestle, um, Wamco, West African Milk Company. Um, also, in terms of our drinks, um, you could also talk about um, Nigerian beers. Um, the malt drinks are fortified. And in Guinness, that's Diageo also fortifies malt. So we have all these companies having great market share. Um, because they fortify and we verify that the levels of fortifiers or nutritive additions in, in these products are true, um, people have confidence in them and people will always want to buy. So although the end means or the end of fortification is not for profit, because the cost per unit of fortifying is between 0 0.5 to 0 0.75 US dollars, and you have profits of um, of between $26 across a li lifetime, mm -hmm. compared to an expense of 15 US dollars across a lifetime. That's about nine to 10 US dollars difference in gain. Um, because the cost per unit is so low, um, I'm not too sure the companies will want to de um, actually defray 
the cost of uh, fortifying their products on consumers. But the end, the end is to allow nutrition, um, better nutrition, reduce malnutrition, undernutrition, and healing hunger. That's the end in terms of the policy agenda for large-scale food fortification. Thank you, sir. That was quite insightful. That's a long list of companies that are quite compliant. Thank you mm -hmm. so much. So uh, moving back to you now, Ms. Stella. So can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Rosia. Okay. So <laughs> I, I would like to ask, how can adherence to uh, fortification policies influence uh, companies' brands and reputation in the market? And, and how can this reputation translate into financial gain? Just like you know that most business, all businesses are profit-oriented. Like that's the primary um, a mandate. So over to you, Ma. Yeah, I, I think we've uh, we've sort of trashed that a little bit. Um, Dr. Adeyemi has also um, buffered some of my points in that, you know, the the confidence in a brand is boosted when uh, a company is being compliant and they are able to communicate the same to their consumers. So it directly by knowing that this brand is mentioned quite a few, I think some of these brands should listen to this podcast and pay Dr. Adeyemi for, <laughs> for really giving them free advertisement, True. you know. <laughs> and you can equally go to uh, www.mfi-ng.org and you can see a list of brands. They're all there. Some of the ones they mentioned, PZ, Raffles, that does power oil, Emperor oil, uh, Golden Oil, Sonola, Flour Mills of Nigeria, a couple of their brands, Oland, a lot of brands. These brands are right there for the entire universe to see, right? And therefore, they will be reporting, especially after the announcement of the highest ranking and the award, because we back this up by an award ceremony, a lot of press is attached to this. And even the companies themselves piggy bank on this award and announcement and they themselves go through social media and the traditional media to elevate their brand. That is going directly into their bottom line by view of additional sales. So that is how a company can directly profit from fortifying. But I think just to buttress on what Dr. Adeyemi mentioned earlier, the essence of mandatory fortification, because there are two types of fortification. There is the mandatory fortification, and there's the uh, voluntary fortification, which is market-based. So the likes of the Nestle's and the Wankos and the Comacidos and the MBLs of this world are in the voluntary category. They do this intentionally in order to give their brands a marketing edge. They want to say we've got 20 vitamins, like Bon Vita and all that. They, they do advertisement. They are allowed to really, really hone in on this uh, marketing drive using that fortification as an edge. However, large-scale food fortification, which is under the, the ones that are under the mandatory umbrella, are not exactly up until, but just until now, where Technosav is disrupting the market and say, hey, mm -hmm. yes, fortification is a government initiative, it's a public health initiative. However, businesses that have to implement this 
have to be able to have a business case that would drive their compliance. Because even though it's mandatory, yes, and but there are a lot of challenges into that, you know, prevent us from really getting the return on investment on large-scale participation. A number of them are weak regulatory compliance because of resources. Nigeria, for instance, is so huge. You have six geopolitical zones. Across these zones, you only have maybe, I don't think we have up to 5,000 regulatory officers that have to go to the field from Maiduguri to Portacot, from Lagos to Edo. You know, it's huge. So then these resources are thin. So they cannot have this door-to-door -door oversight over the, the producers, right? So we're trying to drive a self-regulatory uh, mechanism whereby it's the industry themselves that are putting themselves forward because they are seeing the business case for doing the right thing, meaning they are able to showcase their investments in fortification. And therefore, they, they can apply this in their marketing uh, strategy. And that's what we are trying to drive at these days. And it's, it's, we're seeing the difference, right? So uh, we're trying to attach social good or to profitability. Yes, you're part of you know, driving the social good for the people. But then at the end of the day, we understand your idea for business. Therefore, we're giving you this opportunity to use your uh, fortification compliance as a, as a marketing tool. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So that's that's how we're helping businesses. It's, it's new. It's still novel. It's in its teething stage. But we continue to support the private sector to understand and adopt this self-regulatory uh, mechanism that can support them to make profits, even while delivering a social uh, public good through fortification of their product. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for that insightful explanation. Thank you very much. So back to you now, Dr. Ademi. I know you've explained earlier that food fortification, um, Businesses have direct or indirect benefits from food fortification. So I would like to I would like you to briefly explain the role governments can play in ensuring compliance and making the process more financially attractive to producers. Are there any incentives or subsidies that could be put in place just to support the producers? Over to you. Okay. Okay. Um, I would like to really commend what TechnoServe has been doing in the country. Um, they've really made um, a lot of impact. I just don't want to use the word a lot of impact. They've made very deep and lasting impact in terms of um, um, bringing to the fore and um, into our cognitive um, reasoning that um, on malnutrition is not just for shock or alone, but there are other aspects of um, feeding hunger. And um, I really like the work of uh, Miss Taylor. I've known her um, maybe about 10 years now. Yeah, and she's worked with Gain and while she was still in industry, um, Professor Gumilanko. So um, in terms of um, the role of government, um, it should be a supportive role. Um, I do understand that in, in Western um, the, in Western climes, um, that there's a form of um, 
um, support uh, comes in, in in terms of subsidies also. Not subsidies would directly in in, in, in that respect. And um, you have uh, farmers being supported on on the farm um, by extension workers to ensure that um, the soils are fertile and then and that, uh, for example, fertilizers are, are are used rightly and appropriately. Um, because uh, the end product will mean that the plants that we consume eventually consume will take this, their nutrients from 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 the soil. So it, it's an indirect. Um, it's an indirect um, intervention from government fortification, but in terms of large-scale food fortification, which is industrial-based, you're using inorganic compounds to fortify um, the food, especially processed foods, like um, Stella rightly said, because during processing, a lot of uh, nutritive attributes of food is lost. So you need to reinforce this back, and reinforcing it is by adding addition of um, vitamins, minerals, and salts, like she rightly said. Um, the only way we could have um, a very good, um, I would want to say, reach in, in this is um, if government supports or lowers, um, maybe, for example, acquisition of, of equipment. It's quite an expensive venture getting equipment mixers. It's quite expensive getting the pre-mixes. Um, so the government could intervene in these areas. It could also intervene in, in with respect to um, lowering of them, um, it's subsidizing with, uh, some aspect of, of production cost, energy costs, um, maybe giving tax breaks to these um, producers or what we want to say, um, mixers or millers, as the case may be. Um, so by so doing, um, you are encouraging them, like Ms. Teller rightly said, that a business case is created. Because if I'm to fortify my product, and uh, I'm doing so at a cost. How do I defray the cost? Well, yes, I did say initially that the cost of fortification is quite low, but it does amount to something eventually when you talk about the amount of, of food or the amount of material that has to be fortified. It does amount to something substantial. So, so all of that, what, what will come out of it? We rightly said this earlier that um, there's a business case that there's recognition, both locally, internationally. There's also increase in market share. So the, the producers or the users of fortifiers understand this. And that's why they are having more of a self-regulating uh, program going on that sea. We would want to beat even the standards government have set. So uh, in this way, that's on one hand. On the other hand, um, it's... it's, it's a, the only way I can see it, because it's quite a difficult thing now uh, for government to say we are supporting uh, micronutrient fortification, which also and so amount that all other people in, in health would rise and come and say, why aren't you giving support to Kwashoka? Uh, why aren't you giving support to H treatment? Why aren't you giving support to COVID-19? Why aren't you giving support to, to institutions uh, of, of, of firms that produce these drugs or produce materials that are used to mitigate um, maybe in, in case of um, epidemics? So, so uh, in my opinion, that supporting those who produce, I mean, I do mean the millers now, by giving lower import taxes on, on, on premixes, and then energy grants, um, lower excise charges while producing in country, and then tax breaks. This this will be means and methods the government could support uh, and the light scale food fortification drive in the country. Apart from apart from improving capacity and capabilities of regulatory um, agencies, especially the legal and then 
also, um, I want to say the enforcement frameworks, it needs to be more, more intricate. It needs to to be improved, better improved. It's in place, but of course, there's always room for improvement. Like Mr. Ella rightly said, the reach of regulatory agents. Uh, Nigeria is quite a big and massive country. Um, we, we're still having gaps here and there. There's, there's, there are no overlaps uh, between, um, for, for, in terms of regulation, in terms of oversight, in terms of monitoring and evalu evaluating the impact of, of, of for example, some products um, marketed in our, in, our, in our markets or in our supermarkets. There's also the need for post-market surveillance, which falls under the purview of these regulatory agencies. So, um, Stella rightly said, the capacities and capabilities of these institutions need to be improved. That's one way the government can also support the, the ventures of those who are who are self-regulating, who are doing the right thing, so that they, people know and understand that, see, this product is good, and then they have a business case to continue to produce quality and standard goods for the market. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Adeyemi. So, Ms. Stella, this will be my last question for you today on this podcast. So, could you highlight some strategies to encourage consumers to, uh, to patronize uh, fortified foods? All right, thank okay. you. Um, some of those strategies are are going to... The, 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 let, let me say that the responsibility will be divided between the government's partners, international and local partners, and the companies themselves. It's a joint, it's a collective effort. Okay. Uh, there's no silver bullets and no one person can you know, provide all of this. Mm. Um, and just off of, based off of what uh, Dr. Adeyemi just said, now one way, let's start with the government, is by incorporating indexes such as the MFR index into the supply chain frameworks of government. Now, it's been agreed. There is no argument that there are a lot of micronutrient deficiencies in the country. The numbers, even the gains that were made in the last 20 years was has been depleted, continues to be depleted by the ongoing uh, global supply chain disruptions, right? We were just trying to recover from COVID-19 and then wham, we've got the Russia-Ukraine uh, issue and then Nigeria had its own domestic, political and economic instability. So households, even when the ones you call the mid middle class, are unable to afford adequately fortified food. I was at a meeting recently outside the country and I, I, I used that analogy because, you know, when certain decisions are being made, it's very important that we have country realistic context being built into policies, framework, and guidelines. An apple in Nigeria, a nice round red or green apple in traffic or in a store will cost you about 250 naira or 300 naira, right? And the multidimensional poverty index had over 63 or is it 83 million Nigerians are living below $1, meaning hardly can 60 million people, a minimum of 60 million people have afford an apple, just one single apple, right? Now we're talking about people that are even like bot bottom or base of pyramid. Now working class equally 
cannot afford vegetables, fruits, all those nice things. We all know that the first line of defense for good health is what is food before drugs. And then drugs before you then go into injections and all of that. You know, one of my lecturers will always have that. Do food first. The last thing you should think about is a, is a drug, is a medicine. So therefore, the government can incorporate all of these uh, micronutrients into public social uh, schemes, such as the school feeding programs. By endorsement of companies like the index, the Micronutrient Fortification Index, the government can publicly endorse such initiatives and say, fine, we will discount all of these very fantastic incentives that Dr. Adeyemi mentioned earlier, tariffs, uh, tax holidays, energy, energy tariffs, I mean, sorry, energy breaks or whatever, or financial uh, packages that are different for producers or anything that will make them produce cost-effectively and be able to deliver uh, adequately for price foods to consumers at a neutral, at a price neutral way. Anything the government can do is fine. However, how can this initiative be sustainable? My uh, suggestion or my recommendation on this podcast will be one endorsement of the Micronutrient Fortification Index and incorporation of same into government social safety nets such that it becomes one of the criteria that the government uses to select producers that will supply IDP camps, for instance, vegetable oil, for instance, rice, for instance, wheat. Any company that is not on such an index cannot have no business doing business with the government in such schemes, because these are even the opportunities to feed masses. Now, on a secondary level, is the responsibility of uh, the partners, such as Tenkosab, GAIN, and so many other uh, international and local NGOs that are trying to support the industry. Now, to continue to build their capability and capacity to produce efficiently, cost-effectively, to increase their productivity. Therefore, their bottom lines are raised and they can reduce their prices at the end of the day despite the very harsh economic environment. And therefore, the consumers will be able to afford this. That's another. On the side of the, on the part of the producers themselves, they have to continuously communicate, communicate, communicate to their end consumers. These are the people that keep them in business. They have to keep them informed through their packages, through uh, different, these days, you know, Internet of things. Information is like the cheapest thing these days. They have to communicate the nutritional benefits of their food and they have to produce responsibly as well and make sure that their consumers are constantly aware of the implication of choosing different types of foods that do not have uh, adequate micronutrients. So I think it's a shared responsibility. And uh, once consumers are aware, those of us that are at that level of um, that have that decision-making advantage. Those, those of us that have the opportunity to be educated. However, for those that do not have that opportunity as consumers, such as those that are below the pyramid, those that are in, uh, within the social safety net programs, I will reiterate over and again that the government and partners should please endorse the MFI and select those companies 
so that other companies are encouraged because they are seeing their counterparts being more competitive. They are seeing their counterparts having more consumer base. They are then uh, encouraged to you know, participate in this in this self-regulatory initiative. And at the end of the day, I think if we do this for the next decade and a half or two decades, by 2030, we will be contributing, you know, significantly to the SDG goal number two for zero hunger, which includes Indian hunger as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Stella. Thank you so much for that insightful explanation. And lastly, today, Dr. Ademi, I know you mentioned NAVDAC um, regulations based on food fortification. Are there other yeah. regulatory frameworks that are currently in place in Nigeria to ensure food fortification compliance? Um, I'm aware of that of NAVDAC, which is very clear, um, has very clear um, content. Um, but I do know that the SON has the mandate to set the standards. Um, which were contained in the um, August 2021 um, um, food fortification regulations. So I'm aware of that of SON, which requires um, every other institution, which also I'm sure part of that, um, I'm sure TechnoServe was part of the team um, that was on the technical team that drafted all the standards uh, to ensure that um, both mandatory and uh, voluntary um, fortification is is is. is permeates in our society that voluntary by the industries um, make it we want to make a business case and mandatory which um, is required by some major food vehicles like um, um, wheat, um, salt, sugar and vegetable oil has to be um, really fortified either with vitamin A for vegetable oil and um, for wheat, um, vitamin A, um, iron and zinc then for iodine in salt. So um, basically um, one of the, I would like to speak a little bit on the strategies now um, before going back to other regulations. Ms. Um, Stella did mention things about social safety net programs. Um, this is very, very key. Um, she, she glossed over it, but um, um, it's very, very key um, that um, both government safety nets and the social security safety net programs are well in place. This will ensure that those beyond the the pyramid. Um, actually, I want to mention the Maslow's pyramid. Now, there are some far, far below that that needs to be, they can be reached. Those in the riverine areas, those like in Lagos here, I sometimes take a drive to Morocco. I sometimes take a drive to um, those living quite offshore. I notice the object poverty and what they eat. They're just nutritional. Uh, diets, that's what they take. Other components of nutrition is missing. So we need a social safety net programs to actually capture this group. Um, the middle class is beginning to feel the impact of the economic um, situation. And then, like she rightly said, the, uh, the, the consumption of fruits and vegetables is, is declining seriously. I see it when I go to the food vendors. I see it when I go to the canteens here in the office. A lot of people avoid and they can't afford um, a portion of vegetables, which is quite expensive. And even when you afford the vegetable, is it well cooked? Is it not overcooked? And the nutritive value has been expended. So these are things that we need to look at. That means workforce education. I want to come to the workforce education. Those uh, providing meals in the, in the places of work um, need to be educated about how to manage um, this meal so that the nutritive content is not lost. And such um, that's the weakness in bio uh, fortification because you know, the, the time from 
the farm to the table where it's consumed needs to be short. Otherwise, when food gets damaged, the nutrients that has been biofortified by, by either genetic means has been lost. So now, the regulations. Um, the international organizations and non-governmental organizations are really doing well. The MFI, I'm, I'm aware of it then. Um, also, TechnoSaf, correct me, Ms. Stella, there's a 4PG. There's also the 4PG framework that um, you developed, which is excellent. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, the 4PG uh, framework you developed. I really love that. Excellent. And then, so I, I want to say, uh, this is my opinion, our observation being on the field, and that the international organizations have really been the bridge between the private industry and public, and public, which means the government. Um, for example, in the forefront, not to advertise, but I need to say it, TechnoSav has been excellent in this, uh, working with BSA, BASF, a bus of Germany. Um, TechnoSav has also been in the forefront supporting the Bill and Melinda Gates um, program in Nigeria with um, the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition. Um, there's Kasfani. Um, so TechnoSav has, has really been a great bridge and a, a, a trailblazer in bringing about um, the issues of micronutrients deficiency in Nigeria. So I also want to say that TechnoSav is part of those who are helping to regulate the system, um, albeit they are non-partition, they are non-profit. So I want to say um, these are the three key agendas like this. That from the NAFTAC Act, SONS mandate to develop standards and TechnoSav's foray in Nigeria to help bring into recognition what the regulations and the standards require and to help consumers, both consumers, the producers, the private, Entity and public, the government to understand the importance of uh, nutritional balance um, in public health space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Adeyemi. So, we have come to the end of today's podcast. Thank you, Ms. Teller and Dr. Adeyemi, for participating in today's interesting program. So just as we've heard from the experts, it is important to fortify our food as it offers numerous benefits to producers that are compliant. And just like they said, it is important to incentivize producers that are compliant, and it is also important to endorse the MFI, that's the Micronutrient Food Fortification Index. Dr. Adeyemi also mentioned that there are three regulatory policies that are in place. So it is important to implement these policies, which are the NAVDAC regulations, the SON regulations, and the policies from TechnoSel. So thank you for joining in once again. You can, you can learn more about food fortification by visiting www.nesgroup.org, or you can also learn about more interesting programs on www.nesgroup.org forward slash podcast. Thank you once again. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.